Bible and turn over to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter 6, amen. Listen, be in the spirit of prayer. Continue to be praying through this service. I want to talk about something today that, first of all, I don't want you to get offended when I start talking about it. If you're in this situation, if you're in this, uh, this fog is what God's put it on my heart to say. Um, if you're in this uh, place, I uh, just want to offer help today. Um, a lot of medical helps have been offered. A lot of treatments are being given a lot of times to people that are going through this. But I want to offer you, I don't, I don't go away from them. I don't want to think that you think I'm bashing anything or any kind of doctors or medical treatment or anything like that. I praise God for doctors. You know, I mean, we had Dr. Luke. Luke actually wrote an account of this in Luke chapter 12, but we're going to read Matthew's version of it today. But anxiety... Stress, depression, things like that is suffocating the people of the United States so much that deaths are almost every day. <clears throat> Actually, it's 343 deaths in Alabama last year alone. People died of opioids, whether it would be heroin or uh, medications that are prescription medications, Oxycontin, other things like that. They're overdosing on these things. And I know that it also has found its way into the church. And I'm not trying to come against you today. I want to offer you something that I believe would be far greater than anything that could be treated medically. Because sometimes, listen to me before we get into it. Don't, don't turn me off. But sometimes doctors are trying to treat a spiritual condition and there's no medication to treat spiritual conditions. And so I believe also depression and suffering and anxiety and stress and all of these things that we're going to be talking about today, I believe that many of them are not just a medical condition. I think that they're just symptomatically proven that these symptoms are that you are in anxiousness, that you are depressed. I think that they can look at the symptoms, and I think that sometimes they try to treat them with things that may help you cope or help you mask certain things. But I want to show you something today in Scripture that can take it away. Now you say, Brother Steve, do you claim to be better than doctors? No, I don't. I don't. But I do believe that some of the PhDs are no better than a post hole digger. I do believe that God's word is far better than anything that we could ever find. And I promise you that when he says he gives you peace that passes all understanding, it's far more than you could ever encounter. Now listen, all the amen crowd today and you get excited about it because you don't go through these things. Make sure that you put yourself into the shoes of people that do. Make sure you don't forget that the anxiousness and the suffering that Elijah also experienced that many people in the church house experience also. The Bible says that just like Elijah, we have like passions like him, that he prayed. And when he prayed that God shut the heavens up for three and a half years, no rain. But also Elijah, just like you and I, found himself underneath the juniper tree weeping and crying because he thought he was the last person and he's the only one here. He was isolated and he, he, he suffered from depression. He suffered from an anxious spirit. But God comforted him by reminding him that just like he fed the widow woman, he would take care of him. Elijah in his time under the juniper tree, it says that he passed out from the moment of being so anxious about what God was doing that when he awoke, that ravens had brought food to him, that Brother Jack, when he opened his eyes, there was a cruise of water and a little cake setting there to remind Elijah, just like the widow woman, she made one cake and want with one cruise of oil and gave you some water and I took care of her and I'm taking care of you, I'm going to be there with you. But just because we believe these things, it doesn't mean that it won't attack you at certain times, okay? And I want to try to help today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you. We ask you, God, to please speak to us today. God, I ask for an anointing in this message, Lord, uh, far above every other message that I've preached. Um, God, I believe this to be uh, something that encounters everybody that's in this room. Uh, Lord, I believe that the statistics show that many of our people today, over 40 million people, are going through this. And God, it is uh, Satan. Satan, I'm convinced, is slowly tearing at the fabric of people and society and family and getting people alone in isolation and convincing them that the only way out is to take their lives. 
And Lord, there are people that are fighting with this. And they are coping things. And Lord, I don't declare to be a psychiatrist or a doctor. Lord, only a preacher of the word of God. Lord, I know your word to be far greater. Lord, I know your promises and your diagnosis, Lord, is far greater than anything we could ever receive from any man or any woman here on this earth. And Lord, I know that when men or women cannot diagnose the symptoms of the heart, that you, God, can look at a heart. And you can tell when it's broken, and you can tell when it needs help. And Lord, I'm praying today that you, Almighty God, Almighty Father, through the work of the Holy Spirit of God, I'm praying that you search every heart that's here today. You've brought us here for a reason. Now speak to us, O Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask it all. Amen. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Look at verse number 25. Jesus says these words. He says, therefore, I say unto you. Now I want you to look at that just real simple. He says, therefore, I'm saying unto you. Jesus has just dealt with having riches and having nothing. Jesus has just dealt with serving God or serving mammon. It's actually materialistic things, gods of the earth. And he's dealing with all of this stuff. And now he goes, listen to me, I have something to say to you. So first of all, understand, please, it's not my words. These are not my you know, concocted words that I have gathered up and that you know, I'm going to give you all this great wisdom. No, we want to hear from Jesus today. We want to hear from the words of Jesus. And look at what he says. He says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. He says, what, shall, what you shall eat or what you shall drink or nor yet for what your body, it says, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat. He said, is not your life more in the body more than meat and the body more than raiment? He says, look at the fowls of the air. He says, for they don't sow. He says, and neither do they reap. They don't gather into barns and store up their seed, it says. But yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. He says, are we, are ye, are you not much better than they? He says, which of you by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? He says, which of you, by worrying about something, can add 18 inches to your height or 18 inches to the span of your life? And he says, and why take you thought for raiment and clothing? He says, consider the lilies of the field. He says, how they grow. He said, they don't toil. They don't till the ground in order to grow. He said, they don't spin. They don't toil. They don't go about making uh, uh, clothing or cloth or string. And it says... And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed. And look at this, like one of these. These lilies that are being spoken of are not cultivated lilies only, but they also actually grow wild in the land of Israel. And he says, not one of them are clothed. He says, not one of them, not one of them can Solomon be compared to. He said, they don't even compare. You can't even take one. And in Solomon, all of his regal robes and all of his garments and all of his beautiful silk from somewhere and, and, and clothing from somewhere that none of them, none of them, says none of that stuff can compare to one of God's lilies that are in the field. And look at verse 30. It says, wherefore, if God so clothed the grass in the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? He says, O ye of little faith. He says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. He says, Look at this. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Take, therefore, no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. And look at what this says. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Father, we ask you to please be with us. Please open up the scriptures to our hearts and to our minds, Lord, and to our ears today. Lord, let it go into the ears and sink down into our hearts. And Lord, Lord, I pray that someone, someone finds the help that they need. And they find the grace that they need. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask all these things together. Amen. As you're being seated... Sometimes people want to define certain things. They, they want to try to define what worry is and what anxiousness is or what anxiety is. And, you know, there's been many doctors that try to diagnose it. They try to define it. There's been many, many uh, preachers that have preached about these things before, too. And listen, I, I'm trying to tell you before anything, please don't misunderstand 
what I am today and who I am today. I'm not trying to offend you at all. I'm trying my best to show you something and to help you out. But anxiety is defined as this. It's a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease. And it's typically about an imminent event or something that will come with an uncertain outcome. It's defined as something that you are worried about. Actually, listen to me now, before things actually happen. Anxiousness and anxiety is not defined always as something that's happened to you in the past. But most of the time, anxiety is defined as, in the regular dictionary, and in regular diagnosis from a doctor, it's defined about being anxious inside, nervous, and uneased about something, some kind of event that has not even happened just yet. So it's something that, because of something maybe that happened to you before, now you continue to live in fear that what? It may happen tomorrow, and it may happen again, or that anybody could do that. Listen, anxiety is tearing the United States apart. According to the ADAA, listen, that is the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, over 40 million adults over the age of 18 years old suffer from anxiety disorders in the United States. That's 18% of our population of people. It's 18%. So if it's 18% of the population of the United States, it's also 18% of the population of us that are gathered in here many times. And you may not know what's going on in certain people's lives. And you may not understand what they are battling from their past. And you may not understand what they're trying to overcome through the grace of God day after day after day. And listen, if I could give you the best advice of all, it was given to me before I was ever saved. While I was a little boy, if you don't know something about it, keep your mouth shut. Amen. Amen. It's true. Mom used to say, if you can't say something good, you know what that means? Shut up. That's exactly what that means. In simple terms, it means just keep your mouth closed. We don't understand these things. Maybe you don't understand it, but I'm going to tell you something. You've all felt it. At some time in your life or another, before you get your super spiritual heart out on your sleeve, you have felt the attacks of anxiety or things that were uncertain that you didn't know how you were going to make it. I heard a man preach last night, Brother Andrew, at a fish fry that was talking about his accident that he went through. And I'll tell you something, according to his wife, anxious heartaches began to brew up at 2 o'clock in the morning, not knowing what's going on with your husband, not knowing why you're riding to the hospital. So don't tell me that all of us are not affected by anxiousness, nervousness, and things that grip at our hearts because we all are. You may go, well, Brother Steve, I'm just not like that. I don't agree with you and I don't believe you because at times in your life, you're going to be there. God's grace will come in and overtake that if you're a child of God and you're depending on him. But at times, you'll find yourselves on your knees going, God, I can't breathe. God, I don't know what I'm going to do. My grandson was killed in a car wreck. God, I don't know what I'm going to do. My daughter or my son has overdosed. God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And you begin to feel overwhelmed inside. And before long, you'll begin to create and have these problems that go on because anxiousness and anxiety actually produces, it is actually proven that it produces also a physical ailment of the body because you draw in, you don't want to eat, you don't want to socialize with people, you don't want to have any nutrients, you don't do anything, and you don't take care of the body. And before long, because of these anxious thoughts that you have, now your body is also suffering from what your heart can't take. You say, Brother Steve, I, I've never been there. You need to be careful. You need to really be careful. Listen, according to the ADAA, listen, there is one disorder called GAD. It's a generalized anxiety disorder. Over 6.8 million people suffer from this in the United States. And the women are twice as likely to be the ones diagnosed with this. According to the next one, it's called PD. It's called panic disorder. Six million people suffer from this in the United States. And women are twice as likely to suffer from it. There's another one called SAD. My dad said he has SADs all the time. But it's called social anxiety disorder. And over 15 million United States Americans suffer from SAD. And I'm not talking about boo-hoos. But I'm talking about a social anxiety disorder where they don't want to be around people and they isolate themselves totally. 
Listen, here's another one called OCD. <laughs> What's wrong with that, Brother Steve? It's obsessive compulsive disorder. 2.2 million people. I may be in that category. There's another one called PTSD. You know what that is? Post-traumatic stress disorder. Over 7.7 million people suffer from that. Who do you think is the highest people that suffer from PTSD? No. Women. Women are twice as likely more to suffer from the post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. You say, why? Don't forget rape. When these young women are raped... They go through this traumatic thing over and over where when they look at another man who actually even shows one interest of love to them, it takes them back to the persons that abuse them. Let me tell you something, men. You don't need to look at these people and say, get over it. You need to look at these people and say, I know a God who can help you get over it. It's time for people to understand that this stuff is in your face. It's in your school. It's in your homes. It's in the churches today. And it needs to be addressed with love, with a great solution. With a greater solution than just some sedative that just covers it all up. But a God and a Savior who can take it all away. He can help you. You say, how do you know that, Brother Steve? Have you ever endured those things? Absolutely. Absolutely, I've endured things in my life that come back constantly when you hear a phrase or you see a person that constantly tries to come back and grab a hold of my heart and grab a hold of my mind and suffocate me by fogging up the clarity that I know is in God's Word. It does. Listen, church, the Bible, or not the Bible, but also ADAA says that there's one called MDD, which is Major Depressive Disorder. 16 million people suffer from this. There's another one called PDD, which is called Persistent Depressive Disorder. 3 million people. And that is 18% of people that are 18 years old and older in the United States of America. Are you paying attention? Children. 12 years old to 17 years old, 25%. What can cause, what can cause a 13-year-old person to go to a closet and take a cloth and tie it to a doorknob and take their life? What can cause that stuff? We want to sit around in church and talk about it's because they don't have Jesus. You're right. And they need the Lord. You say, Brother Steve, well, what if they... So I had a seven-year-old boy last night at my house ask me, Brother Steve, if you kill yourself, will you go to heaven or hell? I said, son, that's a question that's a little difficult. I said, son, the Bible says it's Samson. He killed himself among all of the Philistines, but I believe he's in heaven. But the Bible says Judas hung himself, and I believe he's in hell. And you say, why? Because Samson repented of the Lord and said, God, restore the strength. But Judas repented of himself. He only felt sorry about what he did. You say, Brother Steve, what do you believe? I do believe that anxiety and depression can come to any person, that it doesn't discriminate if you're black or white, if you're young or old, and it will smother you in a fog to where you will isolate yourself and you will want to be alone. And the only thing that Satan will do is dangle a noose in front of your neck. And I believe that that can happen to a saved person and to a lost person. Because I know a preacher that I know with all of my heart loves Jesus. Loves Jesus in his 70 years, 70s. And he took a pistol and he put it to his belly and shot himself four times. Because he suffered. Because he always put a smile on in the pulpit. But when we went at home... He suffered from isolation. He suffered and they tried to cover things up instead of confessing things. God spared that man and he did not die. And I saw him in Jackson. His smile was totally different. He said, I'm ashamed of what I did. He said, but I'm glad that God saved me and spared me so that I could help other people understand this truth. Not to do that. Church, let me tell you something. It's no secret. There's a pastor out in California just last year that took his life. And you, listen, let me tell you something. 
Or you get on your spiritual high horse and you say, well, I just don't believe he was a pastor. And I just don't believe he was a Christian. Please, for the love of God, put yourself into the shoes of those people. And understand that they try to uphold this image that no one, Brother John, could hold up. They try to be this perfect image. And yes, that's their fault. They try to be this image to all people and every person. And then they are alone inside. And they are tempted by Satan to do what? Drink this. Take this. Did you know that in the Southern Baptist Convention that the two prescriptions that are the highest among all pastors are blood pressure medication and depression medication? And that was 15 years ago. And I thought, no way. No way. What is wrong? Well, I believe with all my heart, Brother Jack, that many of those pastors are trying to walk in their own strength. And that's why they can't find peace. I do believe that. But I don't believe that takes away from who they are. I just believe that they're, tr- they're messed up trying to walk in their own strength. Listen, church, these things are real. People, there are, there are some folks that may be sitting by you this morning that, that understand what, what I'm talking about. And listen, they're sitting in church many, many days and they're crying out, help, help. Help, and somebody's looking down their nose at them and pointing fingers at them and putting their head on top of them, making them out to be this perfect Christian. And the church is not perfect. The people in the house of God aren't perfect. They don't have everything together like you think so. They're messed up people that need a holy God. They're sinful people that need forgiveness just like all of the world. Amen. Man, when did we become the people that sit back in the church and go, we're fine and we're okay? And when did our testimonies, listen, not last week, I heard a lot of testimonies. And it was not bragging about I, 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 or me, me, me. It was bragging about him. And if you heard all the testimonies, they shared about what they used to be and about what they are now because of the help they found in Jesus. That's who we are as a church. That's what we need to get back to. Listen, i got a whole lot of things to cover this morning, and I want to try to go through it very quickly. But number one, Jesus tells us that we should do these things. There's five things. Examine, look, consider, seek, and find. Number one, he says that we need to examine. Look at verse number 25. He says, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink. Or yet for your body, what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. He says, you need to examine your life. He said, you need to open up yourselves and examine your lives. Take an inventory. Is your life only consistent of the things that you have? Listen to me, teenagers. Just because you don't have the iPhone 10. Just because you don't have some AirPods. Just because you got one that has a cord on it. That doesn't define who you are. Just because no one liked your status on Facebook or no one shared your Snapchat, that doesn't define who you are. We have people today that are in the hospital right now being treated because they are so overwhelmed because people did not like their Facebook post. There are people that talk to you and to me and they are suffering because they say, no one is my friend. And they're looking for friendship in a computer. Let me tell you something. You can have 5,000 friends on Facebook all you want. And when you die, you're likely to get 50 there. Amen. It ain't about how many friends you tally on Facebook. But that's defining people today. That's defining the Generation X and the the millennial people. It's defining them that their status is all about how many shares that they have. And I'm not talking about an IBM or an Apple or in Belsouth. I'm talking about how many people shared their video on Facebook. Let me tell you something. That doesn't make you who you are. If that defines you, you're going to end up in a lonely, lonely place isolated from all of the world, staring at a computer screen, going blind, because you're looking for that friendship and that love through that, when what you need is Jesus. When what you need is a relationship with Christ that actually teaches you how to have a relationship of love with others. Church, I'm telling you, Jesus said, examine your life. He said, food and drink and body, is that what sums it up? Now look, I understand that we're reading from a text that's about 2,000 years old. And we're looking at that and we're defined by what? Their food, their drink, and their body. 
okay? Because they didn't have Twitter and they didn't have Facebook and they didn't have all that other junk. They didn't have Nike Jordans, okay? He didn't have any pair of sandals in the old days of Jesus that had, you know, Michael Jordan with his solution on there or anything like that. No Nike solutions or Michael Jordan. They didn't have that stuff. But no, you know what defined people in society in those days? Their clothing and the food that they ate. Their clothing and the food that they ate. And so this still applies to us today because we've got to look and examine our lives and what society tries to define our lives as today. So when you look at that, he says, think about your life. He said, your life is so much more than that. Your life is so much more than the newest fad, than the newest clothing. It's so much more than the newest tattoo and the newest thing outgoing and the, the newest listen the other day the church uh, some members of the church bought me and my wife about my wife bought a Roomba you know what that stuff is you know what anybody know what I'm talking about we plugged that thing up and and and, and when he plugged it up it, it said you know ready to go and it, it goes through the house and cleans the house and I was like man that is amazing it's a little bit scary, but it's amazing. It's hooked to Wi-Fi. So now, if you say, hey, we're going to come by your house tonight, Brother Steve, Patty from work can go, we called her Flo because she cleans the flows, okay? <laughs> so, I, so, says, hey, clean the flow, right? And so that thing goes to the house and cleans the floor. The first day, I got an alert while I was getting on the bus. I got an alert, and it said, Flo is stuck and about to fall off a cliff. And I told Patty, I said, day one of cleaning our house, she's calling it quits. <laughs> Jumping off a cliff, you know. All this new stuff, it doesn't define you. And you need to examine and say, what is of worth in my life? Because let me tell you something. By experience, I can tell you that I have counseled many, many, many people who have had way much more than I could ever attain, ever grab in my life. And they have nothing now because that was life and now it's not. Listen, the second thing Jesus says, he says, look at the birds. Look at verse 26. He says, behold the fowl of the air. Look at the birds. He said, for they sow not and they don't reap. He says, they don't gather into barns. And he says, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. How much more are you than they? He says, take a look for a moment. Just stop for a moment and look at the birds. He says, there's not a bird out there that you see with a plow. There's not a bird out there that you see bearing a bag of seed and sowing seed, doing all those things. He says, but yet they never go without something to eat. I, I read something the other day of Adrian Rogers that he made a statement that said, a millionaire does not have enough money to feed all of the birds of the earth with seed for one day. But yet God feeds them every day. He says, look at the birds, the small, insignificant things of life. And God's telling you today, if I can handle taking care of them, I can handle taking care of you. The third thing is this. He says, consider the lilies. Verse 28, he says, and why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, he said, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? He said, consider, and what he's talking about consider is not just what he said to the birds, but he says, behold the birds by looking at them and seeing how God takes care of them. But he tells you to consider, to ponder, as Mary at Jesus' birth pondered all these things in her heart about Jesus. She, he tells us today to consider the lilies. That means to take in thought, to actually do almost, uh, almost an addition or, or a subtraction, a, a mathematical equation going, consider it, bringing it in, bringing it in and, and seeing and adding and multiplying it all together and finding a solution. He says, consider them. You would go to touch the petal of that lily and understand the softness and the beauty of the raiment that it's clothed, clothed in, he said, Solomon, which was absolutely defined, listen, by his wisdom that he had from God, by his riches that he had on this earth. He said, Solomon in all of his glory cannot be compared to one of these. He says, think about it for a moment. Take it in and listen. And then he says this, we conclude something. Look at verse number 31. He says, therefore, we conclude, don't 
worry. He says, don't worry in verse number 31. He says, take no thought. He says, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? He says, don't worry about these things. Now, here's where we get to the place where many Christians are separated. Many Christians today tell you, don't worry, it's a sin. And listen to me, before you jump up and walk out, it is. Because I need to help you understand something. But Brother Steve, I worry at times. Yes, and I want to help you not to do that. Say, but Brother Steve, I can't help it sometimes. Some things come. I understand. But I want you to understand this. If you continue to live in worry, it is sinful because you are saying that your problem is greater than your provider. You're saying that your situation is greater than your Savior. And God wants to be the one to answer all of that for you. God wants to help you. God wants to bless you. God wants you to depend upon Him. And when we're not depending on Him, you know what happens to us? We worry. We become anxious. Because of what? We look for tomorrow. The Bible says, don't worry. Jesus said this fourth thing. He said, seek. He said, seek something. Look what he says in verse 32. He says, listen, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. He says, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. He says, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. He says what? He says to sit back and to think about your life. He says to to take thought and examine your life. He says the second thing is that you need to look at the birds. He says you need to consider and ponder on the lilies. But he says, I know you're seeking something, just like even the Gentiles seek all these things. But he says you need to seek God first. Say, Brother Steve, that's just hard for me to do in my flesh. Absolutely, amen, hallelujah, I know. It's hard to do in the flesh. That's why it's not possible to do just in the flesh. But yet the Spirit of God will help you and will help you seek the things of God. He says, I'm going away. But if I go away, I will send the Comforter. And when the Comforter comes, he will teach you of all things concerning me. See, because I can't be who I need to be for the Lord and his child without the Holy Spirit of God living in me. Amen. Listen, y'all ain't praying that my voice goes away, are you? You keep praying that it stays in there. He says, the Gentiles seek these things. All of us do. All of us seek clothing and all of us seek food and all of us seek shelter and all of us seek life. Everyone in here, pay attention. All of us do. But he says, God knows what you have need of. And then we got the super spirituals that go, see, we shouldn't even ask God for anything. That's so wrong. (laughs) That's wrong. You know, my dad... He could tell, my mom could tell, especially when we were little and we would go through Bargain Town. Some of y'all don't know what that is. And as the Facebook status says, it shows. You don't know what Big B is or what a blue light special is. You think a blue light special is when you're getting pulled over by Mars, and it wasn't when I was a kid. It was when you went to Kmart and they had a hot dog on sale in the kitchen, and you could go and get some husky pants, you know. <coughs> I wore them. My mom cut about 8, 12 inches off of them all the time, too. (laughs) I could go through that store, and I'm telling you, my mom and dad could pick up on it as though they had an antenna that I was coming with a toy from aisle four. They could tell. They could hear me talking about it, knowing that that's what I wanted. Look, I could go over there and just stand in front of them with a toy in my hand. They would know it, but they were waiting. They were waiting. Mama, I love you. Can I have this toy? Huh? (laughs) Most of the time it was no. You can't have blue jeans and a toy, son. We don't have any money. But many times it was yes, because why? They knew that I wanted it. They were waiting for me to ask for it. Listen, when we were in our home as a kid, we didn't have a whole lot of stuff, didn't have a whole lot of food a lot of times. I know you think that's very odd. No, mom just gave up a lot of hers so that me and my brother could get bigger. There used to be one biscuit that would sit on the plate in the middle, and we would stare at it, my dad, my brother, and myself. 
looking at that thing, you know, knowing that it was hers. It was hers. She hadn't even eaten one yet. And she'd go, y'all could have it. It was like, whoa, and we'd reach in there and grab it, you know. Have you ever played Hunger, Hunger Hippo? You know, <laughs> reach in there and grab it. You'd break it up. Three, you had to break it up three different ways and give it <coughs> to everyone just waiting on somebody to ask. Listen, God knows what you have need of. And what I mean by that, let me tell you something. Far above your food and your clothing and all of this stuff, let me tell you this morning, right now, whether you know him as your Savior or not, God knows exactly what you are feeling. God knows and has seen you in your isolation. He has seen you in the moments where you can do nothing but weep and cry. He has seen you as you have tried to mask it and to cover it up in front of everyone else. But he knows it and he sees it. And I want to tell you, he's just waiting on you today to say, God, help me. God, help me. Jesus knows. The last thing is this. Listen, all people are seeking. He says, but we need to seek first the kingdom of God. The last thing is this, is that we can find. In Christ, we can find. Listen, the Bible says in uh, verse number 34, he says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And listen, before you get confused about that scripture, what it's talking about is that not that sufficient is evil, but the sufficiency is of God to handle your troubles even for tomorrow. That the same sufficiency that he has today to give you help for today that listen, before you begin to worry about tomorrow's concerns, listen, the evil in that day, the problems and the trials in that day, that God has enough sufficiency for tomorrow. That God has enough sufficiency for the next day. Let me share this with you. Listen, last year I wrote this down probably about six months ago, and I believe it to be something that is a horrible statistic. Last year in the Alabama Baptist churches, we baptized 13,451 people. We ought to praise God for that. Listen, we have a population in Alabama Alabama of 4.875 million people here. And that gives us a ratio that out of every one uh, uh, salvation in Alabama, this was in our uh, evangelism article that was given out to us, out of one salvation, listen, it takes 362 people to witness to, and we receive one salvation. We witness to 362 more people, and we may receive one more salvation, the ratio. Listen, I've been studying also the opiate, opiate crisis here that in, the, in, the, in Alabama alone. And for every 100 people, now listen to me, I'm not talking about things that, that um, um, you're taking. It, it's, I'm not talking about just heroin. I'm not talking about all these things of the opioids now that are out in the streets. I'm talking about things such as Oxycontin, all kinds of pain medications, all this other stuff. Have you not ever wondered in your life why that certain doctors and certain uh, uh, co-pays for medical things that when it's something that's needed such as a cancer treatment or something else that may be very helpful, maybe for diabetics or other things like that, it costs $90 to $120, but you can go down to the drugstore today and have a $6 or $3 copay for Oxycontin. Have you not ever thought that before? That it actually costed me more in my life whenever I went through my back surgeries. It costed less for pain medication than it actually costed for treatment. That it actually costed for other things. Why? Because we can get rid of these things by trying to mask them. No, we can't get rid of them. They're still there. They're still there. And that's where I want to offer you the help today is that you don't have to just think, I'm just trying to manage through life. I'm telling you, you can have a peace that passes all kinds of understanding. You say, Brother Steve, you don't know my situation. Why would you say that? You don't know my situation. You don't know the things that I have endured. You don't know the things that I've gone through in my life. Brother Steve, I've been ridiculed. You don't understand the things that I've endured in church being called names of racial names because I love all people and I want all people to be saved. You don't understand the things that I've seen in my life, Brother Steve. You don't understand. Yes, I do. There was a year from Father's Day to Father's Day in one year where I was praying with people, counseling people, 12 couples who were leaving one another and all of that stuff. You say, oh, Brother Steve, but that wasn't you. No, but I took it all in my heart and in my life and in my wife and I prayed for those people because I care. 
Those things eat you and those things come at you. So don't tell me that I don't understand. And even far above that, if you could say, you don't understand, Brother Steve. You've never experienced this. The Bible tells me that we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with our infirmities. But in all points was tempted just like you and I. In all things he understands. When you say, oh, I'm lonely and Jesus doesn't understand that, go to the Garden of Gethsemane and you'll find a man on his face begging his father, Abba, to relent, to deliver him from all of this cup of evil. He says, oh, but nevertheless, not my will. Yours be done. Why? Because he found peace in God's word. Listen, <clears throat> here in the state of Alabama, every 100 people here have had 120 prescriptions written for opioids. There were 5.8 million prescriptions written in 2015, and that's good because that's on a decline from 2013 where there were 6.8 million people were written prescriptions for opioids. Listen, the biggest thing of all is this, the rise of deaths from the opioids. In 2016, 343 overdoses in the uh, state of Alabama resulted in a death. That's not to conclude or include all of those that are addicted to certain drugs that are way out there in the world, such as crack and cocaine and other things like that. We're talking about prescription medications that actually lead people to move from Oxycontin to move to heroin, now to just actually take fentanyl, killing themselves. Not knowing it. Why? Because they're trying to cover up their isolation and their anxiety and their hurt and their problems. And we need to wake up and realize that it's happening right in your own house. Right in your own city. And in your own church. Even in your own, listen, that man that passed away out in California in the pulpit. It's real. And you can continue to overlook it, but it's real. And I don't believe that it's sickness. I believe that it's heartache. I believe that many of it is happening because people, their hearts are aching. And they don't see Christ because of all the fog. Listen, I'm going to close in just a minute. Listen, many people, to prove, my, to prove this point, what my study was, was this. And this is all my study. I mean, I got papers after papers about it all and statistics about it all. And if you just listen to me this morning, pay attention. I wrote a thing about it, but I never shared it. I shared it with a friend of mine, Stanley Kilgore. And he said, Brother Steve, you ought to share that everywhere. And I just kept holding, it on, holding on to it and holding on to it. But when you finally tally these numbers up, let me just give you a, a thing that really convicted me. More people were one to opiates. More people died from an overdose of opiates than we in the state of Alabama as Southern Baptists converted people. More people died at the hands of drugs and Satan and attacks than we actually could reach. These ain't my numbers. These came in a book of evangelism from Johnny Hunt and North American Missions Board. This came from the website from the National Drug Association. Looking at all these things, more people are one to opioids than they are to Christ. That ought to be what we say, Brother Andrew, is God help us. Before we leave this morning, I want to share a story with you about a young black lady in 1896, or actually about in 1895, her name was Louise Anderson. This woman was raped by another man when she was 15 years old. The next year on October 31st, 1896, she had a baby. She named her Ethel. She could, didn't want to take care of Ethel. She didn't want anything to do with her because she couldn't take care of her being a 15, 16-year-old young lady. But also because of the way it was done. Every time she looked at her, she said, I couldn't get over the, the rape, the suffering and all that stuff. And she just couldn't get past it all. And so her grandmother, actually uh, Louise's mother, which would be this baby's grandmother, raised her. And as she raised her, she grew up. She was about 12 years old. She was grown up religion. She grew up church, knowing Jesus. But at 12 years old, she said she gave her life to Christ. But at 13 years old, her grandmother died. And she was sent back to live with her mother. 
And her mother, even at that time, even being married, just did not want to deal with her and just pushed her away. And she's, this woman says in her autobiography that she says that everyone always thought she was awkward and pushed her all the way and just always set her to the side. And it always stemmed from how she came to be. And so this woman never got over that, but yet she tried to laugh out loud. Did you know it's a reminder of people like Robin Williams? It's a reminder of people like Chris Farley's or some of these uh, singers, Elvis, others. That they're trying to cover up things and before long they're dead because of the things they're covering up with. And I'm trying my best to blow a trumpet of warning to you to let you know that it will not end great. You may not die from it and you may think you can handle it all. But I'm going to tell you, eventually, eventually, the implications for drinking over and over is going to take your liver and it's going to destroy it. And people may not see it now because you mask it with a drink and a smile. But you continue on. There's been a lot of people that I've stood and buried because they could not let go of that. I've been to funerals, Brother Edward, they placed it in the casket with them, thinking that would offer hope, and it won't. You continue to go along the way, and I'm going to tell you something, these drugs are going to eventually get the best of you, and you may find yourself in a 10 by 8 room, confined in isolation, and never socially around people. You say, Brother Steve, how do you know it happens all the time? All the time. This young woman... She went back to live with her mother, and her mother couldn't do anything. She said, I don't want to even be around her. So the only thing that this young lady could do, Laura, was she went out and she got married to a man at 13 years old. And after one year of sexual and physical abuse, she couldn't take it anymore, and she ran away from him. She went and joined herself because she was talented, and they called her the string bean. She, went, she was talented, and she could sing, and she could act and do all that. She went and joined herself unto singing in nightclubs and singing in places. She sang for the uh, uh, African-American vaudeville. Uh, she, she sang on Broadway. She sang songs, and you would know all of these things. Let me, let me give you her lay down. She was the first black woman to appear on radio in 1922. She was the first black woman to star on her own Palace Theater in New York in 1925. She was the first black woman to star in a commercial network radio show in 1933. She was the first singer to ever introduce 50 songs that became hit in 1933, the first singer, not black singer. She was the first black singer to appear on television in 1939. She was the first black woman to star on Broadway in a dramatic play, also in 1939. And she is remembered for much of her fine acting and especially her expressive singing songs such as Dinah or Jeepers Creepers. Some of you older people in here, Jeepers Creepers, let me see those peepers, you know. Uh, singing songs like Summertime or Stormy Weather. You know that song, you're right? Listen, y'all, we're, we're not going to hold you down and call you a sinner, okay? Because you listen to this jazz music. But even more, she was known for her infectious laughter. It was very loud. She laughed out loud all of the time. Listen, and she tried her whole life, married three different times, tried her whole life to hold on to religion, but yet she began to grow, Brother Craig, bitter inside. Anxiety, nervousness, depression always began to fog her mind and was always holding her down that she was a victim uh, or she was a conception of rape. Her mama didn't want to have anything to do with her. Her grandmother that loved her, the only one that did and helped her, she's gone. Men took advantage of her People in Broadway took advantage of her because she was uneducated and didn't know monies. And so they would only give her portions of her money. People in the South, she would have to run for her life at times because people in the South didn't want anything to do with an African-American singing and performing in any way. People in the North, they did the exact same thing. And this woman began to build a wall of isolation and hatred. Pay attention and stay with me. It's very important. She built it up day after day. You know, there may be people in this church who's done the same thing. You may have built your defense wall up against someone because of their color, because of someone's sex, male or female, because of something that's been done to you, and you can't get rid of it. And yeah, there may be clear days, but there are also foggy mornings. 
and they come at you so hard that you think the only answer is a drink, and the only answer is a medication or a pill, or the only answer is to give your body to someone else. That's another one. You think that's the only answer? Let me tell you something, kids, teenagers, listen to me. That's not the answer. So, Brother Steve, how do you know? I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it for proof. Because as a 12, 17-year-old boy, those are the things I drowned myself in over and over and over, knowing Christ but not knowing him in my life. I knew of him and had religion, but Brother B.O. didn't know him in my life. And I tried to drown myself in all of that. You know why? Because it made me feel good. It made me feel tough. It made me feel proud that I could drink more than the other friends. That's embarrassing for me to tell you. But it made me feel proud that nobody would whoop me in a fight. It made me feel proud. It made me feel good inside. Because I thought all of the things, all of the anxiety, all of the stuff... And being a person of stature and being a person who was seen, I thought that was where I was going to find it all. And when I came to Christ, I found the greatest peace that I've ever known. This young woman named Ethel made her way into Alabama one night. And after her performance, she was in a bad car wreck. They took her not to a hospital, but to the nearest mental hospital. And they laid her on a gurney and her leg was mangled up and messed up. And they laid her on a gurney and put her in the hallway. And the doctors came by and they looked at her condition and they said because she was an African American, a black woman, and because her leg was so far gone, they just left her there. Except for a nurse that recognized her as who she was, Ethel Waters. She healed up her leg. She took her to the train station and bought a ticket and sent her all the way back home. And Ethel Waters from 1942 all the way up to 1956 suffered inside of anguish and anxiety and depression and all of these, whatever letters you want to put on it. Listen to me. Pay attention. All the letters you want to put on. Suffered all of these things and built a hatred for white people and built a hatred for black people and built a hatred for everyone, men that had abused her. And she began to close herself in. But she got a call one time from someone that said that they wanted her to come and sing one of her famous songs that he, she had sung before and it was even a gospel song and he said I want you to come to Madison Square Gardens and sing this song for us and this person began to talk to her and this man said I don't care that you're black I don't care what you've gone through and Billy Graham looked at her and said Jesus loves you and he died for you and that night, 1957, in Madison Square Garden, Ethel Waters surrendered her life and rededicated her heart to Jesus as her Lord. She said, I knew that I was saved when I was 12, but I went way far away. She said, but I rededicated my life. And church will tell you something. That can be you. Listen, visitors, that could be you. That could be anybody here. And as she took the stage that night, I want you to listen to this. This is what she did. She stood up there and sang one of my favorite songs, an old spiritual song. And she said, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? And why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion? A constant friend is he, and I know his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he 
pace lì. So I'll sing because I'm happy and I'll sing because I'm free for his eyes on the sparrows and I know he watches me. Let not your heart be troubled. His tender words hear and resting on his goodness, I lose my doubts and fears. Though by the path he leads me, there's only one step I can see. But if his eye is on that single sparrow, then I know he watches me. Father, I pray that you help people that need help today. Which, God, I can't imagine to be any more than everyone here. God, you've told us that if you know all of the sparrows that fall from the sky, that you know every hair on our head. And God, that you care for us. God, in this time of prayer, I pray, Lord, as people may be coming, or Lord, they may be there at their pews, whatever it is, God, that they would only understand this one thing, that, God, they don't have to have immaculate words to find peace, that they don't have to have a prescription for it, that they don't have to have a solution or a drink for it, but, God, all they have to do is say, Lord, help me. God, help them to find peace that so far passes all understanding. God, may the Christian that's here today who has isolated themselves and think that they are okay and paint a smile on their face, but yet inwardly, they are lonely. Let them say, Lord, help me today. God, for the strong-willed and the strong-bodied and strong-abled man that's here today who thinks he has all things in control and that he is all right, Lord, break that spirit of pride today and hear him as he calls and says, Lord, Help me. Help me. Lord, before, before they're ending their lives with these things, that doctors, only thing they can do is treat a symptom. They can't fix it. It doesn't take it away. It doesn't remove it. All it does is treat a symptom. God, help people find victory today over the problem. God, let it not be a band-aid. Let it not be something to cover it. God, let it be a solution to the problem that's in the heart. God, I pray that if there's a young lady here today who has been abused, Lord, physically. Oh, God. Lord, hear as she says, help me. Lord, if there's a man here today that's been abused in the same way. God, hear him as they say, help me, Lord. God, the reason all this stuff is so rampant across the United States is because people are not dealing with the problem. God, we don't need these things to help the outward body. Lord, we need something to help the inward body, the inward person. God, give somebody victory. Lord, hear us as we say, help us. Help, Lord, help. We're sending out an SOS to you. Lord, help our children. 
Lord, help our sons, help our daughters, Lord. Help our mothers, help our brothers and our sisters, Lord. Lord, thank you that if your eyes on the sparrow, that you're watching over us. Hear us as we ask you to help today. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would, just stand. Listen, right there where you're at, don't make a big commotion. Just stand. We're going to give you an opportunity to come. They're going to sing an invitation. Listen, you come, but with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand one of the biggest problems with anxiousness and anxiety is pride. You say, Brother Steve, how could you say that to me? I'm not a prideful person. I'm a broken person, and I'm lonely, and I'm isolated. How could you say it deals with pride? Because the Word of God showed me that very thing. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 7 tells it. In 1 Peter 5, verse number 5, it says, Likewise, younger, he said, Submit yourselves to the elder. And he said, Let all of you be in subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists his proud people and gives grace to the humble. Verse number 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that may exalt you in due time. But then this scripture comes into play, casting all your anxiety, all your cares on him, for he cares for you. In order for you to receive, The answer for your anxiety, listen to me, you've got to lay your pride aside and come humbly. You've got to realize that you need help. And you've got to realize, God, I am in isolation and I need help. Help me, God. Throw your pride away. Pride will destroy you. Father, we give this time to you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Come, talk to him today. If you need prayer, I'll pray. Go ahead, Brother Brandon. May I introduce you to this (coughs) friend of mine. Come and talk to him today. Nobody's searching. Nobody's looking. Nobody cares if you come down. They're not watching you and going to talk about you. Come and find that peace today that you need. Don't be prideful. Just be be humble. Allow God to humble you. Father, I pray, Lord, you'd help all the ones, Lord, that sought after you this morning. God, I pray that you would just speak to them and be with them, Lord. God, I ask you. With eyes full of mercy and a heart full of love. And he really yeah, cares, he cares when, when your head's down low. Your head is <coughs> down low. <coughs> Consider <coughs> the lilies and then you will know. Amen. Look at me. It's a problem. It's a problem. And I know I may make you feel awkward by preaching about a problem. But if I don't preach to you about the problem, we Come won't on. find the solution. Come on, brother. Amen. Listen, these are, not, these are not my comfort zones. My comfort zone is talking about the tabernacle and preaching about what Jesus did and all that. This is not my comfortable zone because I know it rubs us like sandpaper. I know that it stirs things up. I know that while I'm preaching and the Spirit of God may be revealing certain things to some people, I know that Satan also has demons that's trying to convince right. you that Brother Steve is against you and he's talking about you and, and he thinks you're wrong and all that. I'm not. I don't think that. I just think that we all have this problem and we need help. And the Amen. only help, the only solution, please listen to me. Doctors can only treat symptoms. It's never been removed by that. Why? Because some things are a matter of the heart and not of the body. But when the heart is so overwhelmed, the body becomes weak and feeble. And listen, God can help you. If you didn't get the help that you needed, I know it's not my fault. I know it's not God's fault. But listen, God's not going to give up. He's long-suffering. He's so much more long-suffering and caring. Listen, the people in here have endured 45 minutes of preaching. And listen, they're late for lunch already. And they're long-suffering. They're long-suffering. But our God is more, much more long-suffering with you. And when you are at, listen to me, please listen before we leave. You don't understand. I know some of you are ready to get out of here. But you need to wait for a second because there may be somebody in this room this morning that may not ever come back into this church because they may go home and convince themselves that it's not worth living. Right. And it may be one of these little ones. Come on, brother. I had a pastor friend. 
black man that his son hung himself because he didn't get a video game. And we're just, we got to get out listen. I'm telling you, this problem is here. But listen to this before you leave. If you find yourself in the darkness and you find yourself in the corner of isolation and you have been backed up against the wall and your mind is at its end of its rope and your thoughts and your heart can't take no more and Satan is trying to woo you that no one loves you, no one cares, no one gives a thought for you. You remember this fat guy's words. Jesus loves you. And he is the way out. You remember that if his eyes on the sparrow, that he's watching over you. God, I pray this morning as we leave here, Lord, it's so hard to leave. So hard to leave, Lord God, because we want to help everyone here. God, I will not grieve your spirit, Lord, and I won't quench the spirit. Lord, I will mind the spirit. And God, I, I feel the freedom, Lord. That we will close this service out, Lord, not, not even in those words closing them out. But God, you have given ample opportunity. And God, I can't make them, but God, I can remind them that when they get in the dark spot and they feel lonely, that there is a hand that reaches out. That there is a, even if they think they can't scream above their own thoughts for help, that there is a ear that is laying down and is inclined to hear the cry of a person crying out for help. God, I pray this for the people that's heard it, but Lord, you know you know what's been my prayer. I pray it for our nation. God, more people are one to drugs than they are to Christ. God, forgive us as a church and help us get out and face real problems with people and be real with them and share the real gospel. God, be with us as we leave here today. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for every blessing. God, we give you glory. We give you honor. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ we ask all of these things.